Welcome to the Inquiry Oasis, a University of Arizona College of Education's podcast. Here, in the heart of the Sonoran Desert, we bring you conversations with our esteemed faculty and staff whose research impacts lives from Southern Arizona to the far reaches of the globe. Recording from the College of Education's Digital Innovation and Learning Lab, we explore the transformative power of education in this border town where diverse cultures and ideas converge, weaving a tapestry of innovation with compassion and a sense of wonder. Join us as we journey through the sands of curiosity, unearthing insights that enrich and inspire. So sit back and relax as we invite you to dive into the Inquiry Oasis. Thank you for tuning into the Inquiry Oasis. I'm your host, Jeffrey Anthony, and today we're thrilled to be joined by Dr. Regina Deal-Amen. Dr. Deal-Amen was formerly the University of Arizona College of Education Director of the Center for the Study of Higher Education, which includes the Higher Education Program, awarding master's and doctoral graduate degrees in higher education. She is now newly appointed Associate Dean of Faculty Affairs for the College of Education. Dr. Dilemen received her PhD in sociology from Northwestern University, and she has engaged in major studies of college planning strategies and trajectories of socioeconomically and racial ethnically diverse university students. With particular attention to low-income student challenges, social networks, and major postgraduate career decision-making, the use of social media technology to connect and engage community college students in ways that improve successful outcomes, to name just a few. And today, we're going to discuss the work Dr. Dilemen engages in as a PI for the NSF STEM grant. So without further ado, let's dive into this journey of exploration and discovery with the Dr. Dilemen here in the Inquiry Oasis. It's an honor to be speaking with you, Regina. Thank you. It's a pleasure to join you. So before we get into your research with the NSF STEM grant, I was hoping you could share with our audience a bit about your background and the motivations that has created the path you are on today. Sure. I'd be glad to. I was a first-generation college student myself, which means that neither of my parents attended college. And I'd have to say to go from where I started to where I am now as a full faculty member, associate dean, a PI for a major NSF grant, there were a lot of people along the way who helped me. There were structured programs that were in place to help me, faculty, staff, and others. And so doing this work now is motivated by wanting to pay it forward, right, for the people that have done it for me, that I'm in a position now to do it for others. As part of my research along the way, as a faculty member, I've been studying community college students, transfer students, and know about some of the obstacles that are in place and wanting to create more pathways of opportunity for those students. That's fantastic. So the University of Arizona College of Education and the STEM Learning Center, in partnership with Pima Community College, launched a National Science Foundation-funded S-STEM project, Bridging Faculty and Student Cultures, Culturally Responsive Support for STEM Students Transferring Between Two- and Four-Year Hispanic-Serving Institutions. Can you tell us more about this project and why it is so important to support community college transfer students? Yes, definitely. So oftentimes, transfer students and community college students transferring into university settings get forgotten in many ways. And in particular, students moving or who are desiring or to pursue a STEM major often leave that pathway. They leave it before they transfer, but then they also leave it after they transfer. So that's something that my research has shown. Most of these students who are coming from community colleges are attending community colleges because it's cost effective. They may not have had, they may be first generation themselves. They may be full-time working adults. 
They have families. Some are former military. They're very diverse. And they're highly motivated to succeed. The fact that they have gotten to the point where they are ready to transfer into a STEM major means that they're highly accomplished already. They've already overcome many obstacles and they've made decisions for themselves. Uh, but somehow after transfer, there's still a huge drop off, especially for lower income students. And our grant services students who are Pell eligible or otherwise low income. And so it's especially necessary to help them out in the process. Some of the prior work that I've done has been with the Gates Foundation. There was a grant several years ago where my colleague and I, Cecilia Rios Aguilar, we did a nationwide study of community colleges. And we found that procedural obstacles were actually much more important than any of the research literature has shown. And that means obstacles with applying for and receiving financial aid, enrollment, registration, understanding the organization and the organizational pathways forward. Part of the motivation for this grant was to bridge cultures around STEM in particular, which is science, technology, engineering, and math majors, to create connections with faculty and to create a mentoring community, but also to assist them in the actual process of transferring which oftentimes involves many of those procedural obstacles as well. The project has recruited four STEM faculty each from the Pima Community College and from the University of Arizona for the past three years to mentor a maximum caseload of eight to nine each year of STEM students. And you were saying that's roughly up to 90 now? Yes, we've had three cohorts so far of 30 students each, approximately. And so each year we recruit four from Pima Community College, STEM faculty, and four STEM faculty from University of Arizona to mentor that cohort of 30. Wow. Right. So they divide up the cohort into smaller groups of mentor pairs. Right. And they meet monthly with fellow mentors in the community of practice to learn from each other's experiences and receive ongoing feedback to reinforce key learnings from the professional development sessions. Now, can you explain why communities of practice are so important to the goals of this NSF STEM grant? Yes, definitely. So there are two components to the community of practice. One is the relationship of the faculty mentor with the students. And that relationship is extremely important. And that's part of what we're finding with the research findings. That to create that connection of trust, to know that there's a person that they can actually go to for assistance, whether it's personal, academic. The faculty mentors have been so wonderful in creating those relationships with students so they know they can confide in it. And they create connections along multiple dimensions, not just their major. It could be hobbies that they have in common. It could be some sort of family background or an interest of any kind. So the faculty have been getting really creative in creating those connections with students. That's one component of the community of practice, the relationship with the student. But then the STEM faculty meet with each other regularly as well. And that, we find, that's been a real benefit to them. And part of the benefit we didn't anticipate, which is that they are really motivated to be with a community of their peers who are interested in helping these students. And oftentimes learning about culturally responsive mentoring practices, learning how to be more inclusive, reaching out to community college students is something they really value, but it's oftentimes something that's not highly rewarded in the promotion and tenure process or in the review of faculty. So to be with others who are equally motivated, who find it just as rewarding as they do, that they say after the point of being compensated, they say, I'll continue to do this mm -hmm. for free because being with similar others in my field is really exciting to me. 
And so that's a benefit. So they enjoy that in terms of their job satisfaction, but then they also learn from each other. They share strategies. Oh, I'm having some trouble with this student and they're asking me for this information. Do you have that? Or what are different strategies you've used to connect with students who maybe are not as likely to show up, right? Or how do you get them excited about this or that? So they're really learning from each other just as much as as anything else, really, as far as learning from a training that we provide. So all of these faculty mentors go through a training that is provided by my co-PIs, which are Kimberly Sierra Cajas and Dr. Casey Kilbaugh. So they take them through several weeks of training about how to be culturally responsive, how to center students, what things to think about when it comes to culture and identity. And so they get to talk to each other, work through it. It's sort of a workshop setting. And we began during the pandemic, actually. Wow. So they transferred everything online. And we found that the faculty actually prefer to have most of it online because it gives Mm -hmm. them a time from week to week to process, come back, ask questions, rather than doing all at once in a couple of days. And so it's been really exciting as we sort of develop how do we help STEM faculty think about being culturally responsive. It's fascinating because there's a paradox there where there is an element that is not quantifiable, but that is making a huge strides that you then can measure. But it, it's those bonds, those connections that are happening in community with other people that you just can't really quantify. And I find that fascinating. Yeah, definitely. And it was interesting because we wrote the grant to to basically compensate, provide a little bit of extra money for faculty at the University of Arizona to be part of this each year. But we had many more applications than we could accept because we hadn't written very many into the grant. But there's a huge demand among STEM faculty to help. And so moving forward without the grant, we're thinking about how do we institutionalize this? How do we get more STEM faculty involved? Because they are eager to get involved. But we need the infrastructure in place to provide scholarships for the students, but to also compensate some of these STEM faculty to do the training, to spend the time, and to be there for the students. So what makes this grant unique compared to other grants that support transfer students into STEM fields? Yeah, that's a great question. One aspect of the grant that makes it unique is the fact that we begin while students are still in their final year at the community college. So we pair them with a mentor, not just at the community college, but also a mentor at the university during that last year so that they can get ready to prepare for that transfer process rather than finding out once they transfer about the challenges that they'll face, the information they need, the research experience they need. So that relationship with that University of Arizona mentor is really key. And we're finding that that's one of the central components that is making a difference for these transfer students. So then to dive in a little bit deeper, how do you prepare these STEM faculty to provide culturally responsive mentoring? Yes, that's a great question. Two of my co-PIs, Kimberly Sierra Cajas and Dr. Casey Kilbaugh, take them through several weeks of what we call culturally responsive mentor training. And we use a standard mentoring program, but then we add in things that have to do with cultural identity, racial equity, differences in terms of how students might define the relationship with a mentor, all kinds of material. And so they have an opportunity to workshop through that, ask questions, learn more about things they've never been exposed to before like bias, et cetera, that may be unintentional, yet part of the relationship. And they really benefit from that training. What they really learn is that everyone has a culture, right? Many of these students come from diverse racial and ethnic backgrounds, but actually nearly half of them are white, um, white students who come from low-income backgrounds or formerly part of the military or are parents raising children, right? So we have a nice diverse mix of students. So the faculty mentors 
won't really connect with them all the time in terms of a similar background, but they learn these techniques about how to connect with students and create real relationships of trust and really long-term relationships that, that last throughout the time that students are enrolled. When we think of identity and culture, these are very big and impactful concepts, which you were just talking about. So why is developing STEM identity so important? And why are you focused on this aspect of STEM education and the enveloping culture? Yeah, that's a really important concept. So the thing to start with is that everyone has a culture. Everyone participates in an ongoing culture every day. So the key to a STEM identity is making sure that the students have a strong identity in STEM because there are so many obstacles that will come into play that may discourage them off of a STEM pathway and into another pathway. So for instance, many of the students that we talk to on a regular basis, we do focus groups and interviews with them. They talk about their peers and how they're in different majors and they have to spend so much more time preparing, studying. It just happens to be that STEM majors often, you have to have a lot more dedication to make it through. And if you have family obligations, if you have jobs, if there's pressure for you to be earning money, right, it's, it takes a lot of patience and effort to make it through all the way to the end of a STEM major. And you reap the rewards at the end, right, because there's a demand in the job market, but it often takes a lot more. So having a strong STEM identity is really important because it sort of cements or reinforces the students' original goals. And one thing I want to emphasize is that every year with a new cohort of students, I'm astounded by how strong their goals are. It's really not a matter of aspirations. These students have very high aspirations. It's a matter of can they practically complete this degree? Can they adjust to the difference in instruction when they get to the university? Because in, let's say, Pima Community College, they often get small class sizes. They get faculty who are willing to answer questions and respond immediately in class until everyone understands it. Unfortunately, once they transfer, they're often in larger classes. They might not be as familiar with the material as students who started here as first or second year students. And so there's a lot of adjustments that need to happen. So the more that their identity can be solidified as a STEM major, the more likely they are to continue. And in fact, this program has been having tremendous success rates. We're graduating our first cohorts of students already, and the rates of success in staying in STEM majors is much, much higher than it is at the university or nationally, especially when it comes to first-generation students, low-income students, and students who are underrepresented in STEM. So the supports are very much important. The part about culture is that, I don't know if it's necessarily intentional, but oftentimes science, math, engineering, these kinds of fields tend to be a little bit more exclusive. It's more difficult to get in. If you don't pass some of these classes, you no longer can maintain entry or enrollment in the major. So oftentimes, a lot of the emphasis is on exclusion rather than inclusion. Again, it may not be intentional, but the mentors are there to keep encouraging students along the way. Yes, you do belong here. Yes, it is important. Yes, you have the capacity. And yes, I have failed too. So this, the mentors learn to talk about it's not been easy for me either, and I have failed in certain things or I've not been as successful, but that doesn't mean you don't belong in STEM. That doesn't mean you can't move forward and have a career, right? And those are the things that really matter for the students because they look at these successful faculty and think, oh, they must have been this way all the time, right? But they really humanize the experience, and that makes it more inclusive mm -hmm. for the students. The students feel included. They feel as if they don't have to be perfect. They can be challenged. They can struggle, but still succeed and eventually graduate with a STEM major. 
And we're all much richer for that if they get to that point, which is really beautiful. You've already mentioned some of the successes that you've had. So if you were to peer 20 years into the future and survey the existing landscape of STEM education, and more broadly, the culture of STEM that is embedded in this hypothetical future civilization, what would you hope to see? Well, the first thing I'd like to see is a lot more inclusion rather than exclusion in terms of the culture that exists, in terms of the people that are represented in STEM. So that's one thing I'd like to see. The second, I would honestly like to see fewer procedural and organizational obstacles because it can get frustrating. I mean, the job of the student is to learn the material, to be competent in the material. And if a lot of their time is taken up by having to navigate a highly bureaucratic institution that is not set up for them necessarily, but mainly set up for incoming first-year students, that it's a shame if that's Mm -hmm. the case. So I'd like to see that streamlined a bit more, I think, because I've seen it. It's really not just University of Arizona. It exists nationally oftentimes Mm -hmm. that this is a sort of a problem, right? So that's I think that's part of what I'd like to see. I guess I'd also like to see the culture of STEM to be more inclusive in terms of the content that different cultures throughout the world have a lot to contribute to what we know about the environment, about engineering, about all sorts of things, biology, et cetera. And so to have a a more of a curriculum that's also inclusive. That's fascinating to me in a way to think about how you could weave in ways of knowing that specific cultures may have that have a long history. If you want to conceptualize modern STEM, maybe it was a box of these are the things that count. And then Mm -hmm. there's a bunch of stuff that doesn't count on the outside. And what you're trying to say is we want to not make this a box anymore. We're going to put some doors here and we're going to say, bring in this cultural knowledge that can broaden the scope of STEM and our understanding of the world and each other. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And part of it is a remnant of the fact that we tend to categorize everything in our school systems, right? And in our universities, right? So we have these separate disciplines. But in fact, in real life, everything about STEM is incorporated into our everyday experience, right? So Many of the students come from backgrounds where their families are involved in the construction trades. So the mentors talk about how that counts, right? What you know about this is relevant to mechanical engineering. It's relevant to electrical engineering. All kinds of things, our everyday lives, the way we cook, the way we think about our everyday lifestyles, domestic type things, all of that has to do with chemistry, with biology, right? So we we tend to silo things when in fact in the real world it is basically all around us stem is all around us it's part of our culture it's part of multiple cultures right so the more inclusive we can be the better when it comes to that so it's not just stem that has a problem i think it's a broader issue thank you for that we're nearing the end of our conversation and at the end of every conversation we like to ask our guests to recommend a book or paper that has been meaningful to them could you share one or more with our audience and explain how it has impacted you Yes, there there are two books that we've relied on heavily to help us understand the experiences of students in particular in STEM and the experiences of students transferring. So the first is a book called Power to Transfer, a Critical Race Theory and a Transfer Receptive Culture, Perspectives on Access, Equity, and Diversifying Pathways in P20 Education. So this is by Dr. Jane and co-author Dr. Melendez and Herrera. This is a great book that talks about culture, identity, race, and transfer of community college students. And so that's been really helpful to really think about what is the culture that students are transferring into? Often the emphasis is on the students. How prepared are they? How high achieving are they? How ready are they? But this book asks the question of how ready is the university to receive these students, right? And that's the idea of a transfer receptive culture. 
So that's been a wonderful, insightful book. The other is called Black, Brown, Bruised, How Racialized STEM Education Stifles Innovation. And the lead author of that is uh, Dr. Ebony McGee. That talks a little bit more about the racial aspects of STEM and this exclusion that I've been talking about. It try to helps people understand what it means to become part of a STEM community if you're from one of these underrepresented groups. These two books really give a different perspective than what some of the majority of the articles and books talk about in STEM. So I find them, I like to see books that turn a corner for you in thinking conceptually differently about the topic. Well, thank you for those recommendations. We are sincerely grateful for today's insightful exploration with Dr. Gina Delamen, whose unwavering commitment to justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion in the STEM field has truly inspired us. Your transformative work, especially as the PI for the NSF STEM grant, is pioneering the way for a more inclusive future in STEM education. And thank you, listeners, for joining us today in the Inquiry Oasis. We hope you enjoyed our conversation today with Dr. Regina Dilamen and has inspired you as much as it inspired us. Remember, we're back on the first and third Wednesday every month with fresh insights and conversations. So be sure to tune in. Until next time, keep your curiosity alive and remember, knowledge is our oasis.